the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we head into third our third hour, no one I'd rather end it with than uh, our dear friend and my dear friend, Hugh, mayor of Tempe, attorney in town, educator, civic counselor to uh, many uh, different organizations in town as well. Hugh, good to see you. Welcome back. Uh, glad to have you in town for a bit. <laughs> it is a pleasure to be seen. And I'm delighted to be here. And you're, I want to kick it off pretty quickly okay. that people need to listen to your monologue if they didn't listen to it live. Uh, from the first hour, talking about the narratives that are being spun by the left and specifically really starting on this craziness about Florida's uh, curriculum to teach about slavery. And we've been watching lots of that nonsense going on, specifically with the vice president of the United States uh, with her hair on fire, screaming about the fact that Florida is somehow teaching a new narrative that it was fun and good to be a slave and that somehow slaves benefited by being enslaved. None of that, of course, is the curriculum from the state of Florida with significant work, it is clear, to try to uh, not just appease but but cut a, a um, an effort in a social studies standards. Uh, we have a document that yeah, you printed it out, I man. Printed it all out. Yeah. It double-sided. It yeah. is hundreds. Let's see. It's uh, the total thing is two hundred and fifteen pages long. That's right. That's just the outline of the curriculum. Right. That is for a course that would allow teachers to assure that they cover the topic fully, robustly, uh, completely, and it is crafted by uh, scholars on the subject, including a number of African American scholars who participated actively, one of whom uh, you interviewed in the last hour. Uh, so you have William B. Allen, who participated in the crafting of these, and I think he articulated brilliantly. So again, if you haven't listened to the second hour, you need, need to listen to that second hour, because Dr. Allen really articulates clearly why what Kamala, Kamala Harris is now doing is not just having spun a falsehood, but now he's telling a lie. I think he said retailing a lie uh, on Fox News last That's night. That's correct. And I loved that phraseology. Yeah. It's a very nice one. Uh, that That is what's going on. So she's telling the tale that uh, that Florida has now begun the process of teaching students that it was uh, for the benefit of slaves that they, they were enslaved. And, of course, that is not what this curriculum does. What it does do, and I think uh, Dr. Allen speaks m- most clearly on this subject, that this curriculum attempts to and does a very good job at telling the stories of the people who actually were enslaved and their view of their experience and how they worked notwithstanding being enslaved to enhance and uh, enrich their own lives and their families' lives, uh, notwithstanding, again, that they were enslaved. So that these are people who are making the best of a really horrible circumstance, and it speaks to their character and, and resolve to uh, live life as best they can in those circumstances. And I think this curriculum does an admirable job to set that out. 
telling the tale from, for example, the perspective of, oh, I don't know, Frederick Douglass, who who really had, as a slave, was taught to read uh, and learn the lesson that if you are one and learn to read, you then have an obligation to teach others to read as well, to help improve the lot and the lives of, of those who were enslaved. It's a horrible part of American history and not one that conservatives back away from. They recognize it as a stain on the fabric of American life, but also recognize that it was Republicans who fought against it. And this is a narrative I think you tell best, that that is that the current left wants to tell the story as if the South won. Mm -hmm that they want to tell the story of America from the perspective of the losers as if they were the winners and ignore the fact that a vast majority of Americans, both by territory and population, uh, were opposed to slavery and ultimately engaged in the Civil War to end it. Uh, That Abraham Lincoln carved that out as an important part of his policy that caused him to rise to uh, the presidency and that it was the Republican Party that uh, caused that to happen uh, in the same way that the Republican Party was intimately involved in the creation of the NAACP, a story that often gets forgotten, that it was not the Democrats and specifically the Southern Democrats who rallied around uh, trying to make the lives of African-Americans better, but it was Republicans. And that that is the history of our party, and it should be celebrated and remembered. Kamala Harris is diligently working to tell a tale that is retail lying about uh, that narrative. And so I'm grateful that you not only touched on it in your monologue brilliantly, but talked about how this is demonstrating a series of narratives that the left is spinning with the aid and uh, betting of their friends in the corporate media, that the media has lost its way with uh, the absence of journalism as it used to be taught uh, and uh, with the absence of journalists as they used to practice it and instead have created the theme that theirs is a job of helping us shape history by shaping the news and creating narratives uh, regardless of fact. That this is not an effort any longer or a a profession in which uh, those who are writing are seeking to describe the truth, the facts, and what's occurred. Uh, The facts, ma'am, just the facts. Instead, they want to tell the tale so that they can support the policy objectives and positions they seek to have uh, taken by those in government. So I think you rightly call out in your monologue that we don't and should not trust government. It is our job to keep that in check because it is the it is the balance between enjoying liberty and enjoying a civil society and that uh, it is easy to uh, understand that government seeks to continue to expand its sphere of influence and control. That is the human nature of people. It was understood by our founders. So most of the time we need to keep our eye on the government and keep them in check. Well, unfortunately, The fourth estate that was supposed to help us do that by reporting honestly and completely, for which we have a specific amendment to assure that Congress does not abridge the freedom of the press. And now we have that branch of our society engaged fully and completely in telling narratives from the left side in order to advance 
those policies and that we now have universities with journalism schools teaching that that is their objective and their job to to spin narratives that support that leftist cause. That is a shame because it's crucially important to this free society that it be maintained by having that balance. In that context, I then want to add, Seth, not that I, here I am monologuing myself, that what we then have is the press engaging in creating these narratives like the falsehoods about Florida's uh, curriculum and how it seeks to teach about slavery and the horrible uh, events uh, and, and uh, activities involved in that and the devastation to human beings as a result of it. But that what it starts to smell like, and certainly if you recognize that Disney now has uh, a target on the forehead of the governor of Florida, uh, Disney that owns and operates media outlets, that we have a narrative being spun by people who have an intention to assure that the left succeeds again at the ballot box in the upcoming presidential election. And it is my guess based on what else I'm seeing, and we can talk about that at the beginning of the next segment, uh, that this narrative effort is by the left media to assure, based on the Democratic Party's assessment, that Donald Trump will be an easier uh, uh, victim of the Democrats' efforts. It's easier, their, their calculation is he's easier to beat than DeSantis. That is so correct. That DeSantis, they need to dis- demonize DeSantis. Correct. Yeah. So that while uh, DeSantis has stepped uh, on himself a number of times, all in his own uh, failures, uh, the Elon Musk launch, among so many other things that they've done, has not helped his effort. Um, he is helped along in that road of failure by a leftist press that is eager to see that, in their view, the only successful candidate that the Republicans can put up is Donald Trump. It's it's an interesting strategy. You think about it, it's probably two-pronged in certain respects. They're, they're doubling down on their bet. They're using uh, uh, the legal process as politics by other means to deal with Donald Trump while they're using the uh, the slander process uh, of, uh, of really, uh, you know, gutter journalism, junk journalism. To uh, to uh, to suppress Ron DeSantis's potential ascendancy. Let's take that quick commercial break. Would you let me to? Would you allow me when we come back, if I if I, if if you will, to respond to a little bit of some of what you said on on the Democrat strategy in league with the press and what Kamala Harris doesn't understand about how wrong she really is. We'll pick up on that and then we'll pursue the rest of your line of reasoning. Well done, Hugh Hallman. Well done. I've got to get you in here more than once a week, my friend. Be great. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Hugh Hallman uh, is my guest, attorney in town, former mayor of Tempe, former city councilman, educator. Um, thank you for doing the work of going through those uh, that that long list of curricula uh, dealing with the, the civics and history in Florida. We were talking about it. Um, yes, uh, I gotta I gotta say a few things, Hugh. Also about Kamala Harris's attack on the curriculum and misportrayal of what it is. Uh, one is implicit, and one is a little bit perhaps more explicit. On the implicit, and you made reference to it uh, in the previous segment. I resent as a conservative the idea that we need lectures from her movement and her party on the horror, on the horrors of slavery. Uh, I resent it because. And as you were putting it, 
everything they read into American history and have been telling us about American history from the 1619 Project to the critical race theory that now stands for the most of the public school teaching in American history does come exactly from that perspective. You said their lies about the Florida curriculum are no different than their lies about the American founding. Their read of the American founding is the uh, is the is the, is the positive view of slavery read. It is the read that the Confederacy's understanding of the founding was right. That uh, Judge Robert, uh, excuse me, Roger Taney's reading of American history with regard to slavery was the accurate one, and not Justice Benjamin Curtis's, and not Frederick Douglass's, and not Abraham Lincoln's, which said no, our founding was actually an anti-slavery founding. Um, so it's an interesting thing that they try at once to read America as a slaveholding um, founding. America's founding is a slaveholding uh, justification, while at the same time trying to distort what we who are trying to teach the evils of slavery are trying precisely to do. It's a, it's a, it's it's incongruent, but you're right. It meets a very willing narrative in the left and amongst the media, because I think there is this interesting thing going on that you put your finger on, get DeSantis. Florida's the new Texas. Texas was the Arizona. You know, they, tar- they target these states. There's a state of every half decade, it seems, that the left tries to go after and, and demonize. Florida is obviously that state right now. Um, but that notion of skills and slavery and teaching it to not teach it, as William Allen points out, to not teach the development of skills is to deprive the very human work that so many people did try and engage in. As you put put it, Frederick Douglass believed it was his job to teach literacy once you had it to slaves. We often teach talk about the each one teach one movement. It was the obligation to teach skills, particularly literacy, should you have been, um, what's the word I want, should you have been able to achieve a level of literacy even as you were held as a slave. And to deny that, to deny that some, of the, some of the slaves worked hard to be something more than slaves is to deny their experience. As William Allen said, it was to deny his great-grandfather's story. Story. It is very much equivalent to, and one looks for a comparison here, but it is very much equivalent to thinking about what took place in the concentration camps of World War II, where you had stories of great self-sacrifice among certain of the prisoners, where they might store a little bit of food for those that weren't getting food, for those who were starving to death, and they would save a little of their abstemious measures that they might give to another to another uh, concentration camp um, member or concentration camp victim, and to portray that as the benefits of concentration camps. That's what they're doing, when in fact these are stories of great self-sacrifice and stories of history, stories that actually do teach the horror and the individual overcoming of it that didn't necessarily in every single instance um, uh, depend on an outsider, but the internal fortitude of the people who were overcoming their very imprisonment as best they could. And I think I think it's a damage to history to distort it the way Kamala Harris is doing. Well, I think similarly, as you mentioned, let's use for the moment the Holocaust yeah. as a parallel narrative. 
an example of the uh, of prisoners in a situation where they were subject to nearly certain death in many instances, and yet worked to still celebrate life when they could. Mm-hmm. One of the most impressive touring pieces that helps tell that element of the Holocaust is Violins of Hope, mm-hmm. where musical instruments that were preserved following the opening of the concentration camps that were played by many of the prisoners as part of their reminding others that they were human beings, mm-hmm. that the, the the playing of these violins was an important element of that. Those had been preserved and reworked and tour the country to remind people of the humanity mm-hmm. of those people who suffered through the Holocaust. Similarly— No one would say the constant the music was the, was a beneficial yeah, outcome exactly, of a concentration that, camp. Right. The, right, the, right, the, right, the good right, thing right. about concentration camps is it, it gave rise music. to— music. Yeah, right, exactly yes, right. right. I mean, right. that's absurd. And uh, similarly, that we have a musical tradition that has come out of African-American experience from that slave experience, from uh, spirituals and other elements. Go down Moses. You bet. All the way through uh, jazz that has been uh, celebrated around the world. In in fact, arguably, has been um, dissed Mm -hmm. in our country by that very African-American history because it is no longer – important to celebrate that music history and instead we want to use rap to replace it as the important african-american experience i find that bizarre but the point is that here we have these academic standards that highlight the real stories of people who were enslaved telling their story and dr allen's point is kamala harris is now trying to take this lie and cover over for her modern history and her story that these stories no longer matter or are relevant, and they are crucially relevant, that preserving this history in the words of those who suffered it is what's crucially important. And these standards are extraordinary in that effort. Which gets me to the implicit part here, which is at a certain point, someone might be forgiven for asking in 2023, as they might have in 2022, or they might have in 2021 or 2020, Once all this talk about race, where is all this talk about race coming from? It's everywhere. It's a big topic of this show because I don't shy away from it because I think it's important to get it right. But where it is, it is a wound. It is a terrible wound on this country that the left continues to want to dig and exploit, it seems to me, for nothing other than a political purpose because there is no intellectual honesty to the allegations that they're making right now. And it seems to me it's just noxious, Hugh. It seems to me it's poison. We were saying yesterday it's race baiting at its worst because it's for a political purpose. It's very little different to me than what the Southern segregationists were doing in the 1960s, quite frankly. Agreed. And here we have the post-racial society in which Barack Obama served as president, and yet his colleagues in arms are hell-bent on making sure that the opposite occurs, that everything must be looked at through the lens of race. Thank you, Hugh. We're doing so much to not have exactly that very point. That was the point of the Civil Rights Movement. That was the point of the Civil Rights Act. Hugh Hallman and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. That's such a haunting song from Miranda Lambert, and one of the reasons it's so haunting is it hews very closely to uh, Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz and what 
it talks about with regard to the heart and the wizard. It's a great line the wizard says when Dorothy says, you're a very bad man. And he says, I mean, I could do this chapter forever, but one of the lines he says, he says, oh, no, no, I'm a very good man. I'm a very bad wizard. <laughs> but um, there's a lot of deep stuff in there. We'll do it another time. There's enough, uh, there are enough tears for passing things today. Hugh Hallman is my guest. Delighted to have you, Hugh. So all of what we were talking about with regard to the Florida, Florida standards shows in sharp relief some of what the media is doing in other cases, especially when it comes to Florida. Well, uh, and I think their and, and their yeah. pointed effort is really to make sure that only Donald Trump survives a primary, uh, and it it happens very quickly, so that they can then continue to beat the various drums they have built uh, about President Trump to make sure that he is not viable as a candidate against uh, Joe drooling Biden and Kamala Liar Harris at this stage. That's kind of what we've got. We've got a president who's got a a child who he denied ever. Uh, knowing about his business, and suddenly uh, they've had to pivot to say what I meant to say is he was never in business in with business, him, right. in business in with business. him, uh, uh, that he may have known about it, but, you know, he wasn't paying any attention. Well, we can certainly believe that. He probably doesn't remember any of this. But with that said, the De- the DeSantis attack for me came uh, in s- the starkest clarity uh, over the weekend when the New York Times ran an analysis of the news saying that Ron DeSantis is lying about his success with COVID, that he was the governor who successfully uh, stopped the disease and then was able to pivot to get the state open, including its schools much more rapidly than other places. And the New York Times says, no, 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 wait, he is leaving out the, the moment between when he got elder people, those 65 and over, vaccinated quickly and then open schools. And what he's missing is the Delta variant moment at which, says the New York Times, many more people died in Florida than elsewhere precisely because Ron DeSantis misled us all and uh, caused people in Florida to uh, stop doing what they should do, wear masks and the other kinds of mandates that the, the New York Times was in love with. Uh, you know, take elderly Close, people who schools closed. Well, yeah. elderly people who have COVID and stuffing them back into their care centers to make sure that they contaminate everybody else. Right. That's what The New York Times would prefer, I guess. Uh, but wait, that governor doesn't count anymore because he got caught. OK, sorry. Uh, too many. Not for that. Too many quiet references that, there that you all have to scramble back to your your you got uh, caught for the lesser sin. That's correct. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, So here's what uh, is amazing. Just as an example of how ham-fisted the New York Times effort is to use numbers, which obviously we fail now to teach in our journalism schools, uh, you know, two plus two equals seven, uh, apparently, because in this instance, they talk about the fact this is the New York Times with a graph as well, describes that Ron DeSantis pushed very quickly to get all people 65 and over vaccinated and was at the leading edge of the entire country. But then two months later, they will tell you he lost his edge and stopped doing it. No, you idiots. Once you vaccinated, and I'll just make it a a stark example. Once you vaccinated 100% of the population, you can't vaccinate them more, right? And of course, other states would catch up as they did. Why? Because DeSantis got a larger percentage of his population vaccinated quickly 
there were fewer people left to get vaccinated, you morons. So you can't vaccinate somebody twice and count them as a second human being unless you're creative accountants like apparently the former governor of New York was about the number of people who he caused the deaths of. In this instance, that's the kind of ridiculous reporting that they're calling analysis so they can point to Ron DeSantis in the New York Times as a liar and a cheat and that he failed Florida and instead he should not be taking pride in the fact that they had less learning loss in their schools because kids got into schools more quickly, but that the Delta variant should be the determiner of his failure as a governor or his lack of success as a governor in the same way that the New York Times has promoted its own person that 1619 is the determiner of the quality and character of the United States. It is identical and a piece. Yep, and it is all a lie. And it's an interesting question. I'd like to come back with you, Hugh, and ask you if it matters um, in, in a certain respect. Of course it does in, in, in a certain respect, but I wonder if it matters in decisive respects. I'm wrestling with this notion of how important the media narrative is, and I ask it because we just got polling out that shows despite all the media defending Joe Biden, he is now the uh, – I think now the second most unpopular president by poll ratings since Jimmy Carter – and so one has to ask, with all the media trying to, um, with King's Horses and Men, put this Humpty Dumpty together again, if it really matters at the end of the day or if the people are seeing through it. Can we pick up on that thread when we come Please. back? I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest. You like that Dr. Pepper in a bottle, Hugh? It's uh, it's provided me a little result that uh, sometimes it's, it's, requires that I hit the cough button. It's 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 doc, It's an old school bottle of Dr Pepper. It has ten and two, which was known as Dr Pepper time. Do you know why ten and two was known as Dr Pepper time? Uh, I don't. That's when they thought people needed a little pep when blood sugar was running low. Uh, Mostly, probably a. And tell me what tool. the four is. Well, yeah, that's for us. <laughs> that's because we because we get together around four. That's why they added that for us. Um, I thought it was a driving experiment that you put your hands at ten and two, and that way you don't try. Oh, never mind. You can't drink your Dr Pepper. Yes, I'm right. Five thirty-eight, uh, which is the uh, poll aggregator, finds that fifty-seven and a half percent disapproved of Jimmy Carter at 915 days into his term, while today 55% disapprove of Joe Biden. So he's the second uh, most disapproved of president at this point in his presidency. Donald Trump was doing a little better by three points, believe it or not. And when you look at all the media, my question is this, you look at all the media trying to uh, prop up and keep propped up uh, the Biden-Harris administration, you wonder how much the media matters anymore? I mean, it matters, but does it matter in a decisive sense? Are people able to see through some of the uh, sorcery? Uh, speaking of the Wizard of Oz, we were speaking of in the last segment. I often remind people, and I'm and I'm I'm of mixed mind on this, but I often remind people that if in nineteen, if in October of nineteen eighty four, Martians landed on America and got all their news from the Washington Post, CBS, NBC, ABC, and the New York Times, they would be astounded to learn that Ronald Reagan won 49 states the next month. And I'm just wondering if there's some of that still going on. Absolutely. But I would caution us that it is the impacts on the margin, the, the, yeah. the marginal voters, the low-information voters, who pick up their information only from 
these aggregated websites of uh, the the folks carrying the same story repeatedly yeah. that Kamala Harris uh, is right to decry uh, the Florida academic standards for teaching slavery. And that has an impact. Um, I saw it in 2016 when President Trump focused on 10 states to get out the vote and happened to be doing uh, radio that night uh, when the when the state came in that tipped the balance. And it was hmm, it was a very close call. And then four years later, a similarly close call. And what I, I suppose I would caution conservatives to understand is let's stop coming up with uh, conspiracy theories about why we're going to lose and instead work really diligently to win. Because if you win by a, a, a decent margin, as President Reagan did, you don't have to debate whether or not you won the election. You don't get stuck in these uh, kinds of positions. Uh, so Carrie Lake, had she run a good campaign, wouldn't still be arguing that she won the race and spend her time in court. She would have won the race um, and uh, could have done so decisively had it been handled well. Um, similarly, uh, while we've got these issues going on, I would also caution conservatives to stop bloodletting. Uh, we are not in the tank in the worst positions we've ever been in. The mid-1960s were the real difficult period of time to be a conservative, having been in those trenches when we had only a handful of Republicans in the House and the Senate. I think the number was of uh, the 435 we had, 535 if you include everybody. I think in the House we had 145, I think, something, something like that, like that in know. that neighborhood. I mean, there have been times when being a Republican was actually really, really tough. Yeah. So let's stop screaming at one another and accusing uh, one another, if you don't support the same Republican candidate, of somehow uh, committing, uh, you know, tortious interference with political uh, livelihood. Um, we, we truly ought to understand that having good, robust candidates attacking uh, President Biden's failed leadership and Kamala Harris's tendency to go off the deep end on any given subject is very valuable to us in the upcoming election because it's not only important to win the presidency, but we need to pick up votes in the House. We need to actually tip the Senate back over uh, and then work together to advance policy objectives that we can all agree to. We're not going to agree to everything. And our greatest failure as conservatives is uh, to uh, note from Ronald Reagan that we've got to stop treating 80 percent friends like 20 percent enemies. That's the crucial important piece here. And we are not doing a very good job of that. By the way, some of that does perhaps explain the inability of Ron DeSantis's campaign to take off on its own merits, by the way. You know, one would expect of Donald Trump to play the kind of polit politics he does. One didn't expect it so much from Ron DeSantis's team. And if you pay attention on social media to what his online team has been doing, it's no different than the kind of stuff you uh, have come to expect and become used to with the Donald Trump surrogates. And I think it is part of the problem. I mean, I think Ron DeSantis, yes, he's taken an onslaught. But I have to say, I think some of it is his own doing and some of it has to do with the way he's campaigning, as I would like Agreed. to say, you know, one can prefer pastrami to corned beef, but that doesn't make either of you a vegetarian. And uh, they seem to be playing that game. And it's a very dangerous game. 
seemingly only one person knows how to play it. <laughs> and uh, and it's not working for Ron's people. He's Look at the story he's had now for a week. He's been peddling the story, or his spokesmen have, that they're going through a campaign reset. That should be a 12-hour story and move on. They're laying off more. Anyway, I, all of Ron DeSantis' problems are not from the outside. I, I just want to lay a marker down and say Oh, that. absolutely. You're correct. And that, you know, any more than... Uh, the Republican primary in the state of Arizona, uh, where we had a candidate spend a whole lot of money uh, and come in second. Uh, $20 million is a lot of money to spend in a primary and come in second. Um, But by the same token, uh, if Carrie Lake had run a better campaign, uh, there is no reason that she couldn't have won that race. And in the same way that if Donald Trump's campaign had been better, he would have beat Joe Biden. And so we need to stop complaining about the failed past and look forward to, and I think you talked about this on your show at the end of last week, how important it is to look forward and say, what are the Democrats doing now that are, uh, are tactics that are going to... Shenanigans. that are going to advance their cause in tipping the, ballots on these, uh, tipping the balance on the margins. Because it is only a few seats in the House. It is only a few seats in the Senate that make the difference between which policies get enacted or not. And it is only a few delegates in uh, in our presidential election that determine whether or not the R's beat the D's or vice versa. And we need to be focused on that, not about what we could have done in the past and continuing to rend our garments over those failures and who's being belittled and all this good stuff. Let's start talking about what we need to do in the future to win the next election series. Hugh Hewitt wrote a book a few years back, They Can't Cheat If It's Not Close. We probably ought to dust that off our bookshelves and take another look at that. You want to come back with a closing thought? You bet. All right. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman, and we will be right back. Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy when you think about talk of a recession, when you think about the inflation that is hardly transitory, when you think about the bank failures and the stock market's volatility, and you think about where to go to invest? Why Refi has an answer. They have a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. There are no fees in this secure, collateralized portfolio from Y-Refi, and they're headquartered here locally. They encourage you to stop by their offices. They're on the 101 in Scottsdale Road. I've been there a few times, and you won't get a sales pitch. They leave that up to me, and no one's going to ask you to sign anything. But when you meet with the team at Y-Refi, you'll see why I like and trust them so much, and you can too. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest. The letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. Mr. Hallman, thank you for your hour here. You wanted to close on another corruption of freedom, if I understand you right. Yes, so we've been talking about the fact that the left has been spinning a narrative uh, that tells some lies about Florida's uh, academic standards for uh, teaching slavery and what occurred there uh, to the 1619 Project and the true founding of this country that the folks who won the Civil War to end slavery uh, marked their beginning really at the moment of 1776 when the Declaration of Independence was done. 
uh, not at the Constitution, which compromised uh, on slavery. Abraham Lincoln makes that note when he says fourscore and seven years ago in the uh, Gettysburg Address. He is referring to the Declaration of Independence as the founding that called upon us to celebrate freedom of every human being. And the extent to which the left is working overtime to change that narrative, not just to the 1619 project as the indicator of what is the quality and character of the United States, but even more recently, uh, a university worked diligently with young students to re-describe the Freedom Trail in Boston. It is the miles-long red brick and red ink, uh, red paint stripe that you can follow, uh, that more than 4 million people follow every year to various sites in Boston about what gave rise to this country's liberty. And they want now to cast that the sites along that trail really are about the horrors of slavery, that all of the people involved in the founding of our country were somehow affiliated with or profited from slavery, and that that must be the indicator of our country. Shame on them. This was promulgated over the weekend by NPR stations across the country. And what we really have to understand as conservatives is what is the real basis for our liberty and freedom. We need to protect that and recognize that Abraham Lincoln was right, that the founding of this country came from the Declaration of Independence and celebrates everyone's freedom and liberty. And that we all must put our shoulders to the wheel to make sure that we preserve that for generations to come. Amen. Thank you, Hugh. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, on behalf of David Dahl and myself and Hugh Hallman, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 